I feel like the startup world is overly focused on trying to get this validation for something before you actually do something with it. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger, and I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo. On this episode, we're talking with my good friend, Chris Gullibeau. He is an author of many books, and he's traveled to every country in the world, which is kind of bananas. His newest book is called Side Hustle, From Idea to Income in 27 Days. And look, we, we'd never do shows about business and entrepreneurship exclusively, but Chris is really the leader in this space, and he has a unique take on starting something that can really create a lot of change in one's life, if that's what floats your boat here. I also get a lot of questions about this subject, so I'm gonna have Chris dig into a lot of those questions. Like A lot of people think they need a side hustle, but there's a lot of misconceptions about the process. A lot of people have tried before and failed, so they feel like there's something wrong with them. What I like about this book and what I like about what Chris is doing here is this is for regular people with day jobs. This isn't about quitting and going all in, welding my thing in my garage. It's it, This should be about building a safety net. It's about a backup plan. It's about more freedom of choice. And we're gonna teach you how to take inventory of your existing skills, then focus on those to build your first hustle, going from idea to offer as quickly as possible. Remember, there's a worksheet for this episode so you can make sure you solidify your understanding of the key takeaways from Chris Gullibeau. That link is in the show notes at theartofcharm.com slash podcast. Now, let's hear from Chris Gullibeau. When I first started following you, which was a long time ago, I thought you were on this mission to travel every country in the world. Now you're just gonna do 100 cities inside a few of those countries. I mean, nothing new, nothing changed. You're used to this. Right, well, it's just kind of a compulsion. Now, you know, On the one hand, it's a compulsion. On the other hand, I actually really do enjoy going out to meet my readers and listeners. And for better or worse, all my work over the past eight years has been informed by those kinds of conversations. So I'm having a good time. I think at the time we're talking, I'm on stop number 12 of 100. So, you know, almost done. I'm in that little home stretch phase. Yeah. What, 87 left or something? No problem. Yeah, last mile of the marathon. Are you reading from your book? Because if so, I would imagine you're literally just, me- you've got it memorized by now and you'll sure as heck be sick of it by n- stop number 98. That's funny. No, I don't read from the book. I do a little talk and we have conversation and try to keep it interactive and fun. But this book in particular, it's about side hustles. So it's actually really great to like go around the room and say, who has a side hustle? Like, what are you working on? And, you know, we usually have some funny stories that come out of that. And then also some like actual good connections from people you know, who are trying to get some help with one thing or another or getting some advice or just trying to spread the word about their project. So you might see the inside of the last hundred Barnes and Noble bookstores or whatever (laughs) in America. Yeah, the final begin tour. That's funny. Yeah. There'd probably be only like 30 of them left. I'd have to cancel some stops. Yeah. They'll lock the door after you leave and just throw everything into a cart. I used to go to Borders actually uh, before Borders went out of business. I really enjoyed, you know, going to some of those places, but that doesn't exist now. Well, Amazon's opening up bookstores, which to me makes sense in a way that is kind of ironic and sad, but it's a cool idea. I mean, look, you go there because your stuff gets delivered there and then you go there to return something probably. Maybe they'll charge you for return shipping, but you can bring it to an Amazon store for free and then while you're in the store, you might as well buy some stuff, right? So I think it makes sense for their strategy. I think it it makes sense for their strategy of putting other people out of business, um, but that's their strategy, so. Usually we don't do shows on things like business, entrepreneurship, side hustle, everything that we talk about on The Art of Charm often applies to side hustle, entrepreneurship, and business, but you're really the leader in this space, in my opinion. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. What was the first book? It was like $100 Startup or something, is that correct? Yeah, the first book was The Art of Nonconformity, and The $100 Startup was uh, my second overall book, and then that was kind of my first kind of 
entrance to this topic. And that was about five years ago and been writing about it ever since and connecting with people ever since. And it's interesting that you say, you know, you don't like to focus on entrepreneurship. This book is not for entrepreneurs. I'm deliberately trying to write for regular people who have jobs and, you know, just want to create more security for themselves. They don't necessarily want to have a startup or be an entrepreneur or like quit their job tomorrow or anything like that. So uh, I'm actually trying to present a different kind of message. I love the title Side Hustle. I can't believe it wasn't taken. I was surprised too. My agent, my publisher, like we were all kind of like, this was like maybe, I don't know, a year and a half ago or something when we first like agreed to do this project. We were like, is it true that nobody else has this title for a book? And then we went looking and they're like, nope, I've been worried for like the past year, you know, that somebody else is going to come out with it, but it didn't happen. So you can't reserve a title with a publisher while you're writing it. It has to be upon press. Correct. Yeah, correct. I mean, a title can't be copyrighted either. You know, it's like somebody else can use the same title, but um, I think there is something to be said, you know, for being the first. You got the title and you got the knowledge, which is great. I love that it's about creating a legit side hustle and not a part-time job because I think a lot of people end up creating this part-time job, usually and unfortunately out of a hobby that was like the one thing they liked to do and now they hate that too. So what is the difference in your opinion between a side hustle and a part-time job? Because to a lot of people, of course it sounds different, but for most of us it ends up being the same, yeah. unfortunately. Well, I mean, I think there's so many misconceptions around this phrase and concept and that's partly why I'm trying to like fight for ownership over it because I want people to do it in the right way. And you know, like I'm trying to make this for busy people who don't want to work 40 hours you know, for their job and then go and work 20 hours for somebody else. So you also have like this gig economy thing going on where like I'm going to drive for Uber and that's my side hustle. And I'm like, well, that's great. It's not bad, but it's basically like a glorified part-time job as well because you don't have any control over that. So what I'm trying to help people do essentially is to create an asset for themselves and to be able to create something that they look at and say like, well, I made that thing. Like I have control over it. Nobody can take it away. It at least has the potential for some passive income. It has the potential for me to like go to bed at night, wake up in the morning and see I got a PayPal notification that somebody signed up for something or bought my course or registered for coaching or whatever it is. I can build off of that. And maybe eventually one day it'll be a full-time thing, but that's really not the goal right now. The goal is to just establish more security for myself, give me a backup plan, give me options, um, all those all those kinds of good things. So what are some of the misconceptions that a lot of people have about this? Because like you said, a lot of folks go, well, I'm going to drive for Lyft or Uber. Nothing wrong with that, but it's a job. It's not a side hustle. And really the point of differentiation here was that the lack of control. Yeah, lack of control, you know, lack of income expansion, really. I mean, your income is going to be capped essentially by those services. They can change everything. You're in their ecosystem. They set the rules. If they don't like you, you're kicked out. I mean, so I think that's a big thing. And then people hear so much about startups. This stuff about entrepreneurship is kind of shoved down people's throats. And I kind of perceived over the past couple of years that a lot of people feel, I don't know, kind of judged or shamed, like if they like their job and they're just kind of want to stay in their job, they enjoy the company or organization they work for. And so all these books and resources and like just kind of general conversation in the culture is that you should quit your job. Like, and if you don't want to quit your job yeah. and take a risk, then something's wrong with you. You know, you're just mediocre, you know, European or whatever. And obviously like there's lots of good companies and good organizations and people who are in different seasons of life. And even if they want to quit their job at some point, a lot of people have mortgages and families and all kinds of reasons why they can't just do that right away. Because we have this focus on startup culture, they have this misconception that this is about taking a lot of risk. This is about taking a lot of risk. It's about spending a lot of money or investing it or otherwise doing something where something really bad could happen. And so I'm trying to hopefully like remove some of that pressure and say, you can do this like with the skills you already have without spending a lot of money in a short period of time 
look at the amount of time that you're spending and the, the small amount of money you're investing. If it doesn't work, then you're going to have a learning experience. You can go on to do something else. But what if it does work? What if it does actually have the potential to change your life and do something amazing for you? So trying to get people to that place as quickly as possible. This is for a lot of people kind of a binary choice, right? It's either I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And then, like you said, that's a different thing. Then, of course, it's different than just having a regular job. So there's this shame. And this is a kind of this entrepreneur scene, right? Which I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with. If you've got a regular job, it's like you're some kind of sucker. You're some kind of loser. You're working in the for the man. You don't understand. There's another life out there. You're not woke. That's what I, yeah, that's <laughs> kind of what I'm looking for, right? But the problem, like you said, is that a lot of people can't do that. They've got obligations or they like their job. And frankly, I am often a counterpoint. So I'm one of the worst people to have in an entrepreneur conference because my view is that most people really should not be entrepreneurs because most of us are not really equipped to deal with the type of flexibility and stress that's required, tolerance of stress that's required for this. A lot of entrepreneurs I know and business owners that I know, if we're three whiskeys in, half the time we're like, don't you wish you'd be satisfied with a regular job? And almost universally, people are like, yeah, of course. And when I was first starting The Art of Charm with AJ and Johnny, we had what I call post office days. And what those are, are when I woke up and went, I'm gonna quit and go work at the freaking post office because it's gonna be better than this. Right, because you can leave that behind. Yeah, I was driving by construction sites and I was going, man, at least those guys are in the sun and they're gonna get a check and they know what they're gonna be doing later. And I would go back and just turn into a little fetus bald on the couch because of stress and agony of where the business wasn't going. And it was awful. And I think a lot of people who are trying to convince other people to be entrepreneurs, usually they're selling some sort of BS like, entrepreneurship kit, but there's always some sort of service attached to it. Very rarely is somebody just going, hey, there's a better life and it's when you own your own business and I don't have anything to sell you because I've never heard anyone say that, right? You also mentioned like some people actually like their job. So it's not only like this instability issue, it's also, you and I had a conversation about my last book and that was called Born for This and it was about careers. And it was actually very enlightening for me because I'd go out and talk to lots of folks, including this woman who is the first female firefighter in Mississauga, Ontario. And like, if you're a firefighter, like you can't be an entrepreneurial firefighter. Like you have to like be part of the organization, right? You have to be part of a structure, a system. And obviously firefighters are doing great work. And if you think about healthcare professionals and all kinds of folks, like my mom worked for NASA her whole career. So same kind of thing. Like if you want to like support the astronauts in space, which is a very noble thing and also exciting and it has lots of job satisfaction and all kinds of good stuff. Well, you have to be part of somebody else's system. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, as you said. But at the same time, you know, like this is my message, like at the same time, even if you love your job, I think you need more than one source of income. And that's what I'm trying to help people do is to create that additional source of income, like without all the stuff that we just talked about, you know, that instability, that stress, that fear, the risk, you know, the loss of money and everything else. I think that the sort of this mid-step, right, between owning your own business entirely and having a side hustle, and the reason I'm harping on this so much is because at a lot of entrepreneur e or make money on the side type of conferences or even just personal development workshops where I'm a speaker or something, I often see people standing up and going, I just want to announce to everybody that I'm quitting my job or I just quit my job and I'm going all in on X. And everyone applauds and I'm thinking, this is a really terrible idea. Yeah, you're quitting a job as a waiter that you hated. Okay, I understand that, but why? And I've done this from stage two when I was doing a Q&A and I did not get invited back to this conference. <laughs> That's great. But I said, why did you do that? Oh, well, you know, I really wanna go all in. You can go all in and you can work. Is it because you don't have enough hours in the day? Well, yeah, that must be it. 
cool, what are you spending your time on? And it was like BS crap, you know, Instagram and Twitter, social media awareness. I'm like, you don't have to do any of that. That comes later, okay. Oh, you can hire a virtual assistant to do these other three things you were just talking about while keeping your job as a waiter and still be ROI positive on your time put into the waiter thing. And we kind of drilled down to the whole idea, which is, hey, it's just ego because you don't want to say to yourself, your family, and your friends that you're starting a business but you're still a waiter because it makes you feel like a loser, that your business hasn't taken off yet. But here's the problem. Your business hasn't taken off yet. So now you're cutting off your reliable income stream so that you can be like, yeah, I'm all in on making these radioactive clocks that I weld in my garage. And everyone's like, wow, your business must be doing so well. And you're like, I am hungry. Do you have any food? I'm also gonna get evicted. Can I sleep on your couch? You know, you don't need to do that stuff but people sort of throw themselves out of a 10-story window, metaphorically here, going, look, I can fly. Yo, you don't believe me? Watch this. And then they end up hitting hard, and a lot of these people, they're not the next year's conference because they're freaking broke. Or they gave up because they made it so hard for themselves to succeed by going all in that now they're just like, screw it, this isn't for me, I can't do it. I failed, there's something wrong with me. I think they should take pride in being a waiter and starting your thing on the side. You know what I mean? I think it's not something to be ashamed of. You're like, yeah, I've got to do this job to pay the bills, understand that, but I've got this other thing that I'm working on, that's my vision. Like, I actually think it's almost, you know, admirable and desirable to do that. But I have some culpability in this too, because like I did write a book called The $100. I blame you for most of these folks. Yeah, well, not for most of them, you know, but like $100 Startup, I wrote that book, which is essentially about being an entrepreneur in different ways. And I have this little story I've been telling on the tour and like, I really have gotten a bunch of emails from people that are like, hey, Chris, like I read your book and I quit my job. And then I'm like, oh, awesome, man. Like, what are you doing? Did you start a business? Because, you know, that's what the book's actually about. And they're like, nope, haven't done that yet. And I'm like, okay, what are you doing, basically? And they're like, I'm not sure. I got this idea. I'm going to you know, experiment. And I'm like, man, I must have left something out of the book because I wasn't actually telling people to go and quit your job tomorrow fire your boss tomorrow and then figure out what to do next. Um, somehow, maybe in my ADD or my just like going too fast, I wasn't clear enough about that. So, you know, the joke is like, here we are five years later and I'm like, okay, revised message. Don't give up your only source of income. Don't do that. But do create additional sources of income like where you are, like whatever situation you have and using the skills you already have without going out and necessarily trying to learn to code if you don't know how to code or people often go in these different directions because they think that's what they're supposed to do. They're like, I got a friend who made an app, so maybe I should make an app too, you know, but just trying to help people again, create more security, not necessarily, you know, lose all the security that they have. When do we go all in then? Because what do we do with this? How do we know when to leave our day job? If it's not when we decide to commit, which is what a lot of people advocate and a lot of people do, we know that it's not when we decide to commit because the commitment has nothing to do with paying the mortgage. And I was talking with our mutual friend, Jeff Goins recently, who also wrote a book, Real Artists Don't Starve. And one of the things he'd mentioned was some of the old artists in the back in the day, Da Vinci, et cetera, they had patrons and you can make your day job your patron so that you can do the things you love and your day job will fund that. And so it seems, if you think of your day job as the VC firm that's pumping cash into your side hustle, to go, actually, I'm not gonna do that anymore is pure lunacy, right? You're biting the hand that feeds you, you're cutting off that source of funding so that you can tell your, your brother that you're a full-time wooden metal horse welder in your garage now. It doesn't make any sense. And so it does prompt me to ask, when people should leave their day job. Is there a point on the scale where you go, okay, it's now time for me to leave because there's not enough time if I'm working this other thing or there's not enough resources or something like that. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
the time to evaluate, let's say the time to evaluate, not necessarily the time to leap or to go or whatever, the time to ask yourself that question, like, is it the right time to do it? Or what should I be working toward is when it's actually working, like when it's taking off, like when it is paying the mortgage and whatever that looks like for you and your situation. And I do think it's okay to be a little bit frugal and to say, okay, maybe it's not matching my full-time salary, but it is at a point where I could live off of this. And I also kind of see that there's a trajectory to this. And it's not just that I got lucky. You know, I had one or two good things that happened, but I can actually predict, okay, for the next six months or a year or whatever, I, I have this source of cash flow that's going to be coming in. I think, I think being conservative in those things is, uh, is smart. And I also see people kind of come to that place and then decide to just keep doing both basically. And especially if they've been smart about how they've built their project. And there's a story in the book about a woman who is a marketing director for a company in Florida. And she creates these like personalized candy hearts with the little messages on them. And she wanted to do this a few years ago for client gifts for her clients. And she went looking and didn't find a good manufacturer. Like there was one on the fifth page of Google results. And then she emailed them and they had bad customer service. And so she was kind of personally offended by it. And she was like, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to figure it out. So she created a little business around it. Two years later, this business is making like $100,000 a year, but it's a seasonal business. Like everything happens around Valentine's Day, January, February. So she has a side hustle and she still has her job. And she says it's actually increased her value at her work. Her employer knows about her side hustle. Like they know that she's going to work because she wants to be there, not just because she has to. And she says that makes all the difference. So you kind of evaluate those situations when you're in a place to evaluate those situations. And what you can do now, you know, if you're not in a place to evaluate those things is begin building your bridge to that. You know, don't leap without a net, build a safety net, like build a net for yourself so that you have the ability to make those choices at some point. You're listening to The Art of Charm with Jordan Harbinger and his guest, Chris Gullibo. We'll get right back to the show after these messages. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools to help you create, execute, and analyze your online marketing campaigns. And sign up today for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thank you for listening and supporting The Art of Charm. And now back to Jordan and Chris. How do we know when to give up on something that isn't working? I've never had a good answer to this on the show. Well, first of all, if you told me that Art of Charm was gonna do anything other than be a hobby that sort of made sense when we first started, I I would have laughed in your face. In fact, there was a girl named Crystal at my law school and she's tuned into one of the first podcast listeners and she said, I think someday this show might make you kind of like internet famous. And I was like, well, I appreciate you saying that, but you know, it's kind of like having your mom or your friend tell you this is cool. And so I sort of like patted her on the head metaphorically and she was right. But I think a lot of folks, myself included, a lot of times we don't know when to give up on something that's not working because for every sort of, wow, you're gonna quit your job as a dishwasher, which I I know is a gig you had, and you're gonna travel and you're gonna write this book, The Art of Nonconformity, dude, get a job, stop being such a damn deadbeat and do something with your life. You heard that before you didn't give up, we're these sort of weird examples of survivor bias because there's a lot of people who followed their dreams and their passion right into their mom's basement and they're still there. Right, I think it, you know, it took some time, like for a while you felt like it wasn't working, but I think you still fundamentally believed in the vision, right? So I think it's two things. If something is not working and you no longer believe in the vision or you wanna do something different, then first of all, you should give up and walk away and don't worry about what you've spent thus far because it doesn't matter, you know, it's a sunk cost essentially. And then it does seem like it's on the right track and you are still motivated by it and excited by it, then you keep going. And it's only when these answers are different that you really have to do this deeper level of analysis. And like, what if, you know, I am excited about something, but it's not working? Well, I think you have to accept that it's not working and have to change something. doesn't mean you should give up on it entirely. Maybe you should, but maybe you just need to fundamentally change some approach or some strategy to it because it's not working. But I think motivations are important. I mean, I'm not telling people to go and follow their passion, but I also think you have to be able to look forward to this. Like whatever this is, this side hustle, this thing that you're trying to bring into the world, if it's something that you're doing just because you can, I feel like there's so many things in life that we have to do, especially if you've got a full-time job and all the stuff that goes along with that, like the good things that we talked about, but also probably some administrative stuff or some politics or some stuff that you don't like. This needs to be something that you kind of look forward to spending your 20 to 30 minutes a day, that whatever time that you have, it's not something that should just be a task. So I think motivations do matter. 
So what happens if we're still motivated and we believe in the vision, but it's not going anywhere? You've seen these on Shark Tank, right? Where it's like, I've got two mortgages on my house, but these light up Velcro things that stick on girls' jeans are gonna be the next big thing. And everyone's like, this business sucks. Well, so here's the thing, like on Shark Tank, you know, those people have had two mortgages and they have sunk all this stuff into it and they're in a bad situation. And that's tough because for all those reasons, right? With the kind of side hustle model that I'm trying to advocate for and help people create assets, they're not actually taking all that risk. They're not in that place. So I would say in that situation, like to your direct question, well, if it's not working, like I said, you have to change something about it, right? You have to be willing to kind of question some of your assumptions and say, okay, maybe this wasn't the best idea, but I still like this concept in general. Like what else can I do? You know, the whole question about like, what's the worst thing that can ever happen is always a good one to ask in these things. So if you're on Shark Tank and you have two mortgages and et cetera, et cetera, well, the worst thing that can happen is pretty bad. But if you haven't done all that, if you haven't, you know, liquidated your savings account and begged money from your parents or your friends or, or maxed out your credit cards and things like that, the worst thing that can happen is it just doesn't work. Everybody's got stories of things that haven't worked. I've started plenty of projects that haven't worked. That's okay. That's like the normal entrepreneurial journey. It's also just the normal life journey, I think. I've bought many a cryptocurrency that has gone down right after. It's all I can do to not be like, you know what? It's just lower now. I'm going to buy this dip. And I'm like, no, idiot. It's down because it's a piece of crap. Go buy Bitcoin or invest in something else. We've all done something like this, but it's easier to see it when it's staring you in the face in your bank balance on a screen. Coinbase is laughing at you. Then it's easier, but it's harder to do if you're like, no, I just need to invest in more PR or no, I need a social media manager. That's the problem. Well, still, I mean, even all those examples still involve risk. Like the example of financial investing is you feel so attached to it because it's real money. So I think as much as we can kind of remove that, you are able to make better decisions. And the point of looking at your project as logically as you can and just saying like, is it working? If it's not, then I'm going to have to do something different, you know? So I try to encourage people. The other thing that's closely related to this is like, I've got so many projects. I've got like five different ideas. Should I try all five of them at once and then like see which one takes off? Or I start one for a while and then I do that, but then I reach this point and I kind of plateau and move to something else. Like, what should I do? It took me a while to figure out what to say to that because I'm the kind of person that also has like a bunch of stuff going on. So I know the advice is not like just pick one thing and do that, you know, for the rest of your life or the rest of whatever, because that wouldn't be good advice for me and lots of other folks. But I am trying to encourage people if you're in that situation, you know, of indecisiveness or analysis paralysis or whatever, maybe pick one thing for a little season. The book I have is has this process of 27 days, like 27 days from idea to income. So pick one thing for 27 days. If you don't like that time period, pick something else for yourself, 60 days or whatever, and say, okay, after this time, I'm going to focus on this. Whatever limited time I have to work on my project, I'm going to focus it on this project. And then when I come to the end of that, I'm going to reevaluate and say, do I still like this? Is it working? Is it meeting the goal that I set? Success defined by myself? then okay, great, I'll keep doing it. And if not, then maybe I'll go back and choose something different. You know, I want to help people actually make progress as opposed to just kind of spin their wheels. How do you handle some of the most common objections that people have? Look, I don't have time for this. I've got kids, I've got a job. And you hear other folks handle this question in ways that are maybe less than satisfactory or are designed to essentially just make you feel bad about not doing what they say. And I won't throw anybody under the bus, but there was definitely a speaker at a conference recently that said something like, what are you doing between the hours of 10 p.m. and 3 a.m.? And it's like freaking sleeping, man. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, you know, like if you believe in your project, you should get up two hours early, you know, tomorrow and every day after that to work on that. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is terrible advice. 
advice for people who are already sleep deprived and people who are already like busy working full-time jobs and all the other stuff that they have to do with their life. Like, yes, you could get up two hours early tomorrow and work on something. True. Could you do it the day after that and the day after that? No, like, of course not. That's not realistic. So what I'm trying to do is get to the essentials of this. Like, what do you really need? Like, what makes for a good side hustle idea? Which again, like, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about how do you choose, like once you understand like where good ideas come from, how do you choose which idea is best for you? Then what's the minimum you need to develop that idea? Do you need a website? Okay, well, here's how you can make a simple website. Like what are your other deliverables or outcomes? How can we create those in a short period of time? How can you then get this project out in the world, see how people respond? That's where the validation comes in, by the way. It's not like a something you do in advance. Like the validation comes through the experimentation, essentially. And then after that, you regroup. And after that, you're like, okay, then we go into this stuff that we were just talking about, about when to quit and, and when to keep going. So trying to encourage people to don't spend two hours a day that you don't have, but can you spend 20 to 30 minutes a day? Can you invest in yourself a bit? If you really want to make this a reality for yourself, you're going to have to do something. But how can we get to just what is absolutely essential so that you're not just working a part-time job to go back to where we started? And I think there's a benefit to being busy as well. And the benefit is that you don't have time to waste. And as long as you can figure out what to spend that limited time on, you're probably going to be more productive. It's when you don't know what to do that you get overwhelmed. And that's why people tend to fail at these projects because they don't know what to do. They don't have a lot of time. So they just start doing stuff. Just like you said, the social media thing. I got to do this. I got to make this website. I need to be on this platform. I need to be paying for Facebook ads. I need to be all that kind of stuff. And if you can just figure out what you need to do and then just do that, I feel like your chances of success are much better. How did you figure this stuff out in reverse? Because I assume you didn't go, good thing I stumbled upon this 27-step plan that worked flawlessly, right? How do you reverse engineer your own process and go backwards? Yeah, I mean, so I've been doing this myself for 20 years, pretty much, like my whole adult life, one way or another. And then over the past eight or nine years, I've been talking with people and helping people with their side hustle in different parts of the world and different industries and all kinds of stuff. So that's like my starting point, but I don't want to just rely on my own experience so I don't start with 27 days either, of course. It's not like I say 27, that's a good number. Let me think about how to fill that out. You know, It's more like, what's the best process? Like, what is the method? Like, what do people really need to know? And then I kind of touched on those points a minute ago about the, you know, where do ideas come from? How do you choose ideas? How do you develop the idea? Put it out, et cetera. And then what are the sub steps, you know, under that? What, what do people really need to know about writing copy for an offer? What do people really need to know about pricing their offer? Like, how do you decide what to price it for? You know, how do you choose a payment method? This kind of stuff. Like, it's all logistics. It's really kind of straightforward. None of it is rocket science by any means. It's about helping people understand that they're already good at something. They are an expert about something. And if they're not sure what it is, understanding how to pull that out and then apply those skills in this new economy kind of way. So I always start with that. Like, that's the process. What is the method? What do people really need to know? And then how can I package it in a way that's palatable, in a way that people can actually follow the process and not just, you know, read the book and get overwhelmed or read the book and say, that's a great book or that's a good book and never do anything with it, which is also kind of a failure to me, at least for, it's a failure on my part as an author. Like I actually want people to do something about it. So from the process to the package, then to the actual steps week by week. It sounds a little overwhelming and it also sounds a little hyperbolic to be like 20 minutes a day. It's like 20 minute abs, right? What can I get done in 20 minutes to work on an actual profitable side hustle? Because I almost just don't believe it. Sure. Well, let's take the 20 minutes out. When I say the 27 days, like I said earlier, if you want to spend more time on it, that's fine. It's meant to be somewhat of a suggested calendar. Now, different projects are obviously going to require more or less time. And that's why I think it's really important to choose the best possible project for you. So I focus a lot on that. It's like, what is the best idea for you? These skills that you have, they could be applied in lots of different ways. 
you know, what is the goal that you have? Are you just trying to make some extra money? Well, that's fine. We can work on that. Are you just trying to pay off debt or save for a vacation? Are you actually trying to create a sustainable, you know, second income? Are you eventually trying to replace a full-time income? You know, let's start with the goal and then go from there. So it can take as much time as you want it to take. But I do think if you're strategic in the choice that you make from the beginning, I think it certainly has the potential to not take, you know, a ton of time. And again, also, I'm not trying to say that within 27 days, you're going to have like a startup, like I said, or you're going to have, you know, a six figure second income. I try to be really careful in all the stories I highlight, especially people who get to those six figure incomes or more. Like I also talk about their challenges and their failures and like their missteps. And like they did this, they thought this was a great idea and it turned out to not be a great idea, but then they went back and did something else. So that's a normal part of the journey. So I never want to say, I'm glad you asked this question actually, because I never want to say that something is easy. Like I try not to use that word. What I try to say is it can be simple. Like we can take a complex concept and make it simple. You still have to do the work for it, but I'm trying to save you from doing a lot of unnecessary work that you might do without this process. It almost sounds like an exercise in resilience and grit. And I think a lot of people are intimidated by that as well. Let me frame this example for you. When AJ and I started The Art of Charm, he was doing research in a laboratory, cancer research, and he was like, I cannot have my name on anything because if my boss gets a Google alert and we're getting a government grant or I'm working on this product with my boss in this cancer lab, one of the grad students always got this side gig I'm screwed, I'm gonna get fired. And I think that's true for a lot of folks. I don't think any boss wants to hear about how you've got a side business, because every time you're late, it's like, why are you late? Oh, traffic, right, not because you were uh, assembling television remote controls in your garage, like we heard about after you listened to this Art of Charm episode. Um, I think that's changing a little bit. People are in that situation, there are some, of course. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who have that perception, but it's not necessarily true. We can talk about the people who are in that situation, but I would just say for every story I hear like that, I also hear from a lot of people who have a boss who is supportive of their second thing or are a boss. You know, I hear from people from companies who are like, we actually want our employees to be happy and productive. And we, you know, we understand that they can be a good, productive, loyal employee and still have something for themselves. So I think that's healthier. Now, obviously, there's going to be situations like what you mentioned in terms of the cancer research and the government and where you almost are kind of doing it on the down low. So I think that carries a certain degree of stress. And in that situation, it sounds like he just kind of kept his name off the stuff. And then it was your name on things and until it reached a point where he could be more public about it. Yeah, it's funny. The reason that I'm the face of this business started because he couldn't be at first, even though he was a better speaker than me and more dynamic and everything. I just kept doing it. And then by the time it was like, all right, I'm doing this full time. I was about on par, maybe slightly less, but I was more comfortable being in the limelight than he was at that point. And then I've just, you know, evolved over the last 10 years. But it could have just as easily been me working on Wall Street as an attorney. The thing was, all the guys on my floor thought it was cool. So I was like, screw it. I don't care if they know. What are they going to do? Fire me? I'm here in the office. They're recruiting like crazy. They're not going to fire me because I have another thing that doesn't take away from my working life. That was a little bit of naivete, but I essentially just dove in to this head first. But yeah, it took a long time before AJ could even put his name on the website or anything. He had to commit and leave his lab entirely. Even then, we waited a while because we didn't want any issues with his grants or his boss to go, you've been doing this the whole time, you son of a gun. You know, we didn't want to do any of that. So yeah, a lot of people are worried. You know, they work at Amazon and they're like, I can't be labeled as this. I mean, I guess so. But at the same time, I guess I would gently push back against some of that opinion, not for everybody, but for some and say, it's important to assert your own individuality. Your company doesn't own you. I understand you can't compete against them and stuff, but there's a number of employment contracts that basically say you can't do anything. 
apart from what you do for us. And that's just not, it's, I don't think that's morally correct. I don't think it's realistic. I think it is important to reserve some of yourself for yourself and for your own projects. And again, I think you can be a good employee, you know, be productive and still be loyal to your employer, but also kind of have this other thing as well. Maybe they weren't envisioning side hustles. Maybe they were thinking, okay, I just don't want someone moonlighting for another company because right. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the odds that somebody had a side business mm -hmm. that they did from home online, I mean, that didn't exist. So I think some of that's kind of an extension of just the way employment contracts have always been written and what people think about second jobs or about the additional source of income or whatever. How do I even know if I want to start a side hustle or how do I know what I can do, I think? Like you said, don't make an app if you don't know how to code, but okay, fine, I don't know how to code, now what? <laughs> Great, I know what I don't know, I don't know how to do a lot of things. Where, how does that get me closer to a side hustle? Yeah, no, this is great. I mean, this is coming up pretty much every night of my 100 city tour, and people often start with this assertion, like, they may not say I'm not good at anything, but that's basically what they're saying. They're like, well, you know, I have, this is what I do for my job, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a project manager, executive assistant. I hear all these stories. So I'm telling stories every night and the book is full of stories and the podcast has a different story every day. Like I hear these stories, they sound great, but I don't know like for me what I would do. So basically like the way you figure that out is you can kind of do an inventory of your skills and that sounds kind of lofty. So let's just say like, tell me about you. That's what I always start with. Well, tell me about you. I'm curious like where that person kind of begins, you know, that explanation. And then I'm like, okay, well, what do you like about your day job? What do you not like? You know, did you go to college? Whatever kind of education you had, like, what were you good at? What questions do people ask you about all the time? Like, are you the go-to guy or the go-to woman about topic X? I mean, this is kind of like showing you some of the things that you're good at that people potentially have interest in. I mean, you can do this for kind of a few minutes and something often tends to emerge through that. Do you like to teach? Do you like to speak to people or do you like to write? Like, what is your preferred method of communication? What kind of learner are you? This usually starts to go towards some kind of idea. And the other thing is people often have an idea, but they don't want to say it or it takes some time to like pull it out of them. And then when we get to that idea, whether it's somebody else who's come up with it or it's that their hidden thing, what I try to do next is like, okay, if it seems like it could be something that has potential, like nothing's guaranteed, but it doesn't seem like it's on a good track, try to help people go from idea to specific offer. And this is something that people don't really know how to do because they haven't been told, but it's not that hard. Most of us as consumers, we don't buy ideas. We buy products. We buy services. So once you got an idea, great. What's that actually going to be in terms of a product or a service? Like, you know, what are you going to sell? Who are you going to sell it to? What's the price going to be? And there are ways to figure all these things out. It's not that complicated. And now a quick message from our newest sponsor. Remember, supporting our sponsors is the best way to support the show. That's right. AJ, did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? I had absolutely no idea. Bombas knows, and they're doing something about it, making ridiculously comfortable versions of all three and donating one for every item sold. With all the clothing brands out there, it's nice to find some basics that don't just feel good, but do good too. That is completely amazing, and that's why we're so excited to be working with our newest sponsor, Bombas. To date, Bombas, one purchase equals one donated commitment, has helped customers donate over 100 million essential clothing items to people facing homelessness. That's a lot of good done by people just buying the Bombas they wear every day. Visit bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. And once you try Bombas, you'll know why so many people have purchased and donated so many. The comfort geniuses at Bombas work tirelessly to make your everyday things your favorite things. Whether there's an arch-supporting sock that feels like it was sculpted to your foot, a buttery soft tee with no itchy tag, 
or underwear that feels like nothing while supporting everything. The best part, AJ, Bombas has a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you got the wrong size, your dog chews up your socks, or a pair vanishes in the washing machine, and you know they will, it's easy to get a free return, exchange, or replacement. There's nothing worse than when Puppers gets a hold of my favorite Bombas athletic socks. They're precision engineered for being active with sweat wicking power, impact cushioning, blister defense, and no annoying toe seams that get between you and your goals. I try to limit my essential purchases to one time a year, and I was so pumped to know that Bombas has my underwear, socks, and tees needs completely covered. I have been loving the soft underwear and tees here in Medellin. Ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash charm. And use code charm at checkout. Thanks for listening and supporting The Art of Charm. For a list of all of our amazing sponsors and discounts, visit theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. Now, let's wrap up this episode with Chris Gullibo. What about asking other people for help in this area? Because, for example, and this is just 2020 hindsight for me, I did some presentation in one law class. The teacher of that class was the dean of the law school as well, and he had said, you know, you should be some kind of teacher. And I just laughed, and I was like, why? And he's like, you have a natural propensity for this. You could be really good at teaching people things. You don't have to be a teacher in a school, but I'm just saying, you could do this. And I just went like, whatever, man, I didn't care. And I remember it because I thought, well, I do enjoy teaching, but you know, I'm a lawyer, so whatever. And now, well, I'm using exactly what he was talking about skills-wise. Yep, so other people often recognize what you're good at even when you can't see it for yourself. I don't always think it's a good idea to just go around and ask your friends about your various ideas. Like, I got this idea to do this thing. Here's my business idea. Your friends may not be qualified you know, to answer that. Your friends are going to be like, oh, that's awesome. That's great. Maybe terrible. So that's what I think about that. But in terms of figuring out like what you're actually good at, I do think paying attention and asking people around you can be very helpful. To be fair, that's also how I ended up in law school because an aunt was like, you like to argue you should be a lawyer. Terrible advice right, right. that I actually heeded. You do have to take things with a grain of salt. If someone says you should do this, you have to think about whether or not you want to. And I know that sounds really obvious, but it's not because a lot of people think I don't know what to do and everyone says I'd be good at this. Giving zero thought as to whether or not you might actually enjoy doing that, it's almost an afterthought, especially in the United States, or I should say maybe in the Midwest where I grew up in Michigan. Do you enjoy your job? I mean, uh, who cares? You need a job, buddy. Doesn't matter if you like it, it's work. It's called work for a reason. You're not supposed to like it, yeah. Right, yeah, you're not supposed to like it and you're not supposed to feel good doing it. Maybe it's good to pay attention to the skill that people are pointing to, not necessarily the direction they're guiding you in. The skills that allowed you to succeed in, in law school and obviously like you could have succeeded in a long law career, you just wouldn't have been happy with it. Like those skills are valid, but there's more than one way to apply them, right? This is the skill of analyzing human behavior, which is what you do in different ways. And then the skill of distilling it and passing it on to people, which is that teaching thing. So. I think understanding the skill is important because then you can go in lots of different directions in it. And that's when you do need to pay attention to your motivations. Just because you could be a good lawyer doesn't mean you should be. From the book as well, going from idea to offer as quickly as possible. And I was speaking with a friend of mine yesterday. I can't remember how this came up, but it was something along the lines of, don't ever ask your friends for ideas. And I said, well, how do you get feedback? And he goes, try and sell them something. And I thought, that's brilliant. Because anybody will say, 
oh, I love that idea. And then you go, great, it's $100. And they go, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I already kind of have something like that. I don't really need that. And that one's ugly anyway. It's all about that test. That test weeds out a lot of ideas that other people will tell you are good and will never actually sell. Yeah, I think that's good. I think sometimes people have this lens that they look through things when they're like, is that a good idea? They're not really thinking like, is my wallet on the table? Like, is my credit card out? They're thinking like, is that interesting? Is there possibly a need for that in society? Okay, well, maybe I can conceive of somebody that with that need. So it's very vague and ambiguous. Whereas, you know, obviously then it's like, okay, here's where the rubber meets the road. And also I keep, you probably know this from lots of other things in life too, but what people want and what they say they want are not always the same thing which is another reason why you can't just be like, you know, what do you think about this? I mean, I, I think the best test you can do for a lot of stuff is actually create a you know minimal version of the product or the service, like whatever is very basic. And you can do that in 27 days or less and then put that out and then see what actually happens here. I think that's brilliant. And so we have to get to testing this. Do you have ideas for how we can get to the offer so quickly? Because I think a lot of folks will spend years working on something, honing the website. Oh, I've got to make a business card. I need a 3D schematic diagram. And I've seen this in venture capital, which is shocking. You'll see this and you'll find that there are companies that have millions of dollars and they don't have a prototype, but they have an awesome website and everyone's got double-sided full-color business cards that are so thick you could use them as a doorstop. And when can I see this and does it work? And they're like, oh, hold on, we're not there yet. You've been in business for 18 months. What are you talking about? That's not our stage. We're not actually in that stage yet. You know, well, that, that's why this- Right, we're pre-revenue right now. We're, pre, we're pre-prototype right now. Okay. Okay, right. So the side hustle, this is great. The side hustle way is not pre-revenue. There's no such thing as pre-revenue in the side hustle way. You know, what I'm trying to help people do is right from the beginning, you know, you're going to know if your project works and or if it doesn't work. The validation often comes through the doing, like I said. And this is another thing that I feel like the startup world is overly focused on trying to get this validation for something before you actually do something with it. And maybe that makes sense in the Shark Tank world where people are mortgaging their house two or three times or whatever. But a lot of the projects that I feature, like the woman with the candy heart thing who makes $100,000, I don't know if she could have really validated that. She just did it. I mean, the book begins with a story about this British guy who likes fish. He collects fish, right? So he knows about fish tanks. And so he creates this little website in a weekend with reviews of fish tanks. And he connects that site to Amazon's affiliate program. He like makes this site in a weekend. He's a construction project manager. He gets busy at work. So he goes back to work, forgets about it. And a few weeks later, he gets a check in the mail for like $200. And he's like, huh, that's interesting. So he puts a little bit more work into it over the next couple of months, like whenever he has free time. But eventually he like completely, you know, abandons it and just kind of leaves it there. So that was three years ago, like every month, you know, in the past three years, he's been getting this check in the mail for like $700. And I love the story because it's the ultimate side hustle that I kind of talk about. It's an asset. He doesn't have to do anything for it. He's created something for himself that he can point to. It's kind of quirky. It's kind of random, but hey, it works. Is it going to be sustainable for the rest of his life? Like probably not. Like at a certain point, it's probably going to go away, but does it matter? And then third, you know, like $700 a month is not money that you can live off of, you know, for most people, but it's $700 a month. And it's allowed him to take an extra vacation every year with his wife and it's given him freedom. And it's also kind of inspired him to do a bunch of other projects, you know, after that. So could you have validated that idea before, you know, you started it? Maybe somehow, but I think you probably would have been better to just make the little website in a weekend and put it out like he did, you know? How do we choose between multiple ideas? Like what if I love reviewing fish tanks and vacuum cleaners and I'm really good at pottery? Obviously doing all three of these is a great way to make sure that none of them succeed. However, how do I know which one to start with? I like them all equally. They're all equally time intensive. They all cost the same amount, theoretically. What do we do here? 
All right. So I've got this little exercise called the side hustle selector. You're going to list these ideas out and you're going to rank them according to some pretty basic criteria. So I think there's like five or six criteria in the full exercise, but let's just keep it simple and say feasibility, profit potential, and motivation. Okay. Now you just said that all three were kind of equal, but maybe just for a second, let's just kind of discard that and say, okay, do you think that it's more feasible to write your review site about vacuum cleaners versus pottery, for example. If we think about these three different industries, like fish tanks, vacuum cleaners, and pottery, you know, just estimating which one do we think has the most profit potential. And then motivation, you know, are you really equally excited about all three things or is one of them more in front of you than the other? And I would say often when you do this kind of thing, a pretty clear trend emerges and you're like, oh, okay, I should choose the vacuum cleaners. Like that should be my focus, at least now. Not necessarily for the rest of my life, but again, this is just a project. It's like a season. I'm going to do that and then go with it and, and see what happens. But if you do all that, this is the last thing. If you do all that analysis, which is not a big thing, it takes like 10 minutes and you still can't decide, then I would really say you just have to pick something. If you have to just coin toss or just close your eyes and point at the list of three or four ideas and pick one, then I think that's better than not picking anything. And I do see people like over and over that for months, if not years, they're just kind of batting around different ideas because they can't decide which one is best. And meanwhile, nothing is happening. If you don't choose anything, obviously you're making a choice as well. And so maybe it's better to just choose the pottery, even if you're not sure, you know, than to not do anything. I love that. And if people are going, wait, hold on, I got to rewind and hear all that stuff. We are actually making worksheets for episodes now. So we're going to have that in the worksheet. You ever meet someone and they go, yeah, I have nine businesses. And you're thinking, "Mm, no, you have nine hobbies that you're trying to make profitable and you probably can't pay your rent. Yeah. I mean, I actually met someone once, his bio, I think on LinkedIn or somewhere was like, he is active on, I forget the number, but it was a huge number of social networks. It was like 60 or something. I was like, I can't even name six. I could not name 60 social networks past, present. So obviously that's impossible to be active in that many networks or to have that many businesses or whatever, you know? Yeah. You're active on Quora because you log in once every three months to see if you have any private messages. Yeah. It's just not possible to stretch yourself that thin And I think a lot of people want to do that because it gives them cachet or it increases the chances of one thing popping and succeeding, but really it decreases the chances of them all because of the limited amount of bandwidth and the idea that you're always going to have hiccups when it comes to side hustles in any business for that matter. So when you're dealing with that and putting out a fire in one, you're ignoring the other. And if you if you end up putting out all the fires and all of those things, you're just going to hate your life. (laughs) Right. I want to take the opportunity here as well to ask. You got suckered by an MLM back in the day. Oh, I did. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. So a true story when I was, I don't know, maybe 20 or something, I don't remember like all the details, but it was like, I read about this opportunity. It was like a business opportunity. And all I had to do was make a small investment, of course, you know, some like cutting edge thing. And if you invested $2,000 or something, pretty sure that's what I invested. After a month or two, you'd start getting these residual checks. Like if it sounds bad, of course it was bad. But at the time, I don't know. It was like the fantasy, you know, it's like, oh, that sounds great. So I didn't have a lot of money, obviously, at age 20, and I sent $2,000 in. A month went by, and two months went by, and I start to feel bad. I'm like, oh, did they rip me off? You know, But they actually did a really smart thing, like a smart evil thing. Like It was month three or month four. They started sending out checks, but it was like a check for 12 cents or like a check for like a dollar a quarter or something, like these very, very low checks. But the idea was like I would get the check, and I'm like, oh, I got a check. Okay. You know, like it's going to come together, right? It is working. I just have to ramp this up times 100,000 and we're good. Exactly. Yeah. It was like a false hope. In retrospect, they were probably just trying to defer the lawsuits or yeah, maybe to get people to invest more. Like I don't remember it, but I just remember like obviously nothing ever happened. And finally I realized, you know, 
after month six and like nothing else ever showed up, like I did a dumb thing and I felt really, really bad about it. I felt shamed. I thought I was pretty smart and I thought I was going to do this thing that was going to end up making me a lot of money and I was going to be a business person or whatever it was that I wanted to be. I don't know. It kind of held me back. And so I thought about that when I was like writing this book because it was weird because I had totally forgotten about that story for like 15 years or whatever. But then um, I always hear stories of like what people's struggles are and like why they can't move forward and what gets them stuck. And so for me, I remember this was something that had me stuck for a while because I just kind of hated myself over it and would like beat myself up. And finally, I had to realize like, first of all, like, there's no good like moral to the story. Like, I wish I hadn't done that. It's not like I say, oh, I'm so glad I had that lesson because like, I'm a better person now. Like, no, I wish I hadn't spent, you know, $2,000 to like a crooked company or whatever. But at a certain point, I have to think about myself and like, I'm not helping myself at all. If I just keep living in that moment or living in that past, I got to just kind of say, okay, screwed up. Oh, well, got to move forward. Got to do something better, you know, got to do something more. And so just try to think about that of like, you know, if you've screwed up about something in your life, well, you know, so have I, so is everybody. And the choice that we have to make is what's next? What are you going to do next? And that's how I'm actually signing the book. Uh, for each book, I have like a little different inscription that I use. And for this book, I've been signing it like, hey, Jordan, what's next? Chris Gillibo, because I want people to think, what am I doing next? You know, what am I trying to create for my future? How am I going to try to build some of this security and maybe get a project like this for myself? The book, of course, Side Hustle, from idea to income in 27 days. And this isn't get rich in 27 days. Uh -huh. This is maybe make some dough off of your idea that you then turn into action. It's funny because it seems like a small promise, but it's actually quite a bold promise, but it's very doable. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time juggling ideas around, maybe taking some action here and there, but sales is always the last thing, right? Oh, I don't wanna ask them. I feel like I'm putting people out. That's always what comes last, and unfortunately, it's really the way to tell if what you have is worth anything. And yet, people will push that so far down the line, they could spend years developing something before they try to sell it. The concept of a relatively small amount of money, I have seen over and over, it can be very empowering for people. If you've never done this before, if like your whole income, your whole life has come from a paycheck from an employer, and then all of a sudden you get this PayPal notification for 40 bucks or for a hundred bucks, or you get your first customer, or your first client, like it just feels so great. Like I talk about this every night on the tour and I can look across the audience and like, how many of you have had that? I ask and like people just have this smile come across their face. They realize just how empowering it can be. So I feel like once you start going down this road, you know, all you're doing is creating options for yourself. You know, you're going to have more possibilities and you may choose to invest, you know, more in the process and like, oh, actually, I want to do want to have an actual business uh, or you may just want to have that extra money or you may just want to be able to look back and say, I made that. But I feel like there's no downside to getting that small success because it can only lead you to more things later. I hear you. And I can vouch for side hustles in general. My first side hustle was, and this is dating me pretty well here, back in the early 90s, mid 90s, when my friend's dad was like a financial broker of some kind or stockbroker. I was the only one that anybody knew that could use the internet. And so I would go in and get financial information from, I don't even know what it was at the time, NYSE, New York Stock Exchange or something like that. Somebody had a, some university I think had a ticker up there and I would print off this stuff and, and bike over to his house and he'd give me 150 bucks and I did that like every week once. I don't know exactly what he was doing, but it was, I was arbitraging the fact that he could probably get, I don't know if this even existed, a Bloomberg terminal, which today is $2,000 per month to get up to the minute financial information. Since nobody had up to even the day financial information, his company had a massive advantage if I was able to go there and print out information 
and give it to him. And that was 150 bucks to a 14-year-old kid. You might as well just gold plate my BMX bicycle. My Huffy was balling. You know, I had anything I wanted. And my parents were like, where are you getting this money? I'm like, I'm giving financial information to Mr. Johnson. And they're like, uh, let me call Mr. Johnson right now and make sure this is legit. My parents couldn't believe it and neither could I. I was the richest kid I knew because I had that going. And the feeling, I still remember what that feeling was like, counting off 20s in my hand at that age. It was like my birthday plus Christmas every single week. Exactly. I hear these kind of stories from people who are 30 or 40 or whatever age. It's a very similar feeling of like, oh my gosh, like got that money. Is that, was that real money? The fish tank guy, like the first thing he said in his story was like, he gets the check for $200 and he's living in Scotland. He's like, what actually is that? Like, what's the conversion rate? And then the second thing is, is this check going to actually deposit in my bank account? You know, and his partner didn't believe it either. And like, obviously the money does deposit and he takes her out for dinner with the proceeds. And it's like, wow, this is actually, this is real. It feels so good. Chris, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate your wisdom here. If anybody can teach this, it's you. Well, thank you. It's always an honor, and thank you so much for having me. Interesting show, Jason. A little bit of a departure from the norm here, but I and I was on the fence, but I love Chris, and I, I know what he teaches is legit because he just has a rabid following, and I've used plenty of the stuff that I've learned from his other books and from this book as well, In the Art of Charm. So it's not just for people who are like, I'm gonna quit my job and become a circus trainer. It, it's about just starting with little baby steps and turning it into something, it really is empowering and fun. Yeah, and it's always good for us to go to the horse's mouth. You know, he started the whole movement back with the $100 startup and now with the new book. So it's good to go to the guy who knows the thing that we're talking about and get the best info we possibly can. Right, and has done it and has helped a million other people do it as well. And not just, I need to write a book, what can I do? Oh, let's talk about business stuff because I worked at Kodak for five minutes. No. So that's why I think he's a great source for this. So great big thank you to Chris Gullibo. The book title is Side Hustle. Of course, that'll be linked up in the show notes for this episode as well. And if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Chris on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes too. Tweet at me your number one takeaway here from Chris Gullibo. I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter. And don't forget, we have a worksheet, as always, for today's episode so you can make sure that you solidify your understanding of the key takeaways that Chris taught us here on the show today. That link will be in the show notes at theartofcharm.com slash podcast. I also want to encourage you to join us in the AOC challenge. That's theartofcharm.com slash challenge, or you can even text in, text AOC to the number 38470. The challenge is about improving your networking and your connection skills and inspiring those around you to develop a personal and professional relationship with you. It's free. A lot of people aren't sure about that. It's free, that's the whole point. It's a fun way to get the ball rolling, get some forward momentum and progress, and apply the things you're learning on the show here to your life every day. We'll also send you our fundamentals toolbox that I mentioned earlier on the show, which includes some great practical stuff ready to apply right out of the box on reading body language, having charismatic nonverbal communication, the science of attraction, negotiation techniques, networking, influence strategies, persuasion tactics, and everything else that we teach here on the show and at our live programs here at The Art of Charm. It'll make you a better networker, a better connector, and definitely a better thinker. So check that out at theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text AOC 
to the number 38470. This episode of The Art of Charm was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor. Show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. Theme music by Little People, transcriptions by transcriptionoutsourcing.net. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. If you can think of anyone who might benefit from the episode you've just heard, please pay AOC and myself the highest compliment and pay it forward by sharing this episode with that person. It only takes a moment and great ideas are meant to be shared. So share the show with friends and enemies. Stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.